We're one of seven billion human beings living life at this very moment, which means there are seven billion ways to see life from their point of view. To be in awe of the world is just simply to let the world still give you the information and the willingness to receive it. Hi, guys and gals. Welcome back to another episode of the Man Talks podcast. My name is Roger Nairn. And I'm Connor Beaton. This podcast brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Imagine having experienced mentors with decades of wisdom delivered right to your ears. On this podcast, we'll talk about purpose, legacy, influence, love, sex, success, and so much more. Don't forget to leave us a review, subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher, and join the thousands of other changemakers in our community on Facebook, or go to www.mantalks.com. So let's get on to today's show. We're so excited to have Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. on the show today. We're such a massive fan of his father, Don Miguel Ruiz, who wrote the famous book, The Four Agreements, and his son has now written a book that has captured our hearts. It's all about self-mastery. The ancient Toltecs believe that life as we perceive it is a dream. We each live in our own personal dream, and all of our dreams come together to make the dream of the planet. Problems arise when we forget that the dream is just a dream and fall victim to believing that we have no control over it. The mastery of self takes the Toltec wisdom of the dream of the planet and the personal dream and explains how a person can wake up, liberate themselves from loose beliefs and stories, and live with authenticity. Once released, we can live in our true, authentic, loving self, not only in solitude and meditation, but in any place, at the grocery store, stuck in traffic, etc., and in any situation or scenario that confronts us. Today, we're going to talk about self-mastery, and Connor, I know this is a big topic that you love. Yeah, I, I love diving into self-mastery and potential and high performance and all those other great little buzzwords that we see littered all over online. Um, but I think getting to combine the sort of spiritual aspect with the scientific scientific aspect is is a really interesting perspective and most of the time what we look at is the is the more scientific approach you know we look at mindset we look at carol dweck's work with mindset and growth and so it's nice to have this sort of toltec wisdom on today and and look at a more spiritual approach to things and i think that miguel brings a very interesting perspective we talk about him we talk about his father um you know we talk about what he learned from his father and and sort of following in his footsteps and um, so there's, there's, there's a lot in here. There's a lot in here. Let's bring him on, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. Don Miguel Ruiz Jr., thank you so much for joining us on the Mad Talks podcast. How are you today? I'm doing good, Roger. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Excellent. We're very, very excited. Uh, before How are you we, doing? I'm, we're, we're doing fantastic, too. We're, we're excited for this. We're really excited. <laughs> Cool, man. How are you guys? How are you? How's everything up in Vancouver? It's a beautiful sunny day, which is rare for us. Yeah. You know, before we get started, we always like to ask our guests the same question, and that is, if you can share with us a defining moment for you. Well, um, I have many, and the the first one is, uh, well, the, the one really that really changed my life is what which, witnessing my uncle pass away. You know, when I well, I was holding his hand in the hospital, and I felt the moment where he left the, his body. And 
you know, I, I remember feeling that I don't, I didn't need to hear the the heart monitor. I didn't even need to hear his last breath. I felt it. I felt it in my hand when, when I was the whole, I went from holding the hand of a living being to holding the hand of an op, an inanimate object, which is the body. And I became aware that I'm not my body just as much as I'm not my body. I'm not my mind, but basically it's where I, be, where I became aware that I am not this being that who I am, what I am. Well, it's the being that gives life to this body. That's what I meant to say. So for me, that was a big aha moment because that, up until that moment, the concept was something, you know, it was the idea of that, that lesson that my grandfather, my mother and my grandmother and my father have been trying to teach me was a conceptual concept. You know, I, it's just, I, I knew it intellectually, I understood it conceptually, but I hadn't had the aha moment. You know, the dime hadn't dropped. Unfortunately, it was my uncle in this way that taught me that lesson, that I am not this body. And with that being said, it, it, was, a, it, it was a game changer to me because, well, one, one, something happens when you discover your own mortality, but something truly different happens when you discover that who, who I am is not something with a definition, but an experience. So you can say that's a, a one big pivotal moment in my life. You know, you can say the other big pivotal moment is watching my father go through a nine-week coma with his heart attack. And it's the moment where I stopped being a, a, a teenage 20-something and became an adult 20-something. You know, I became an adult because I became, I started taking the decisions for my family. All of a sudden, my, the weight and the future of my family Tended on my decisions and my choices, and uh, and from that point of view, it was uh, something that it changed me in a sense that I, I up to that point, I was care, uh, I, I was carefree. You know, I, I I enjoyed being the son. I enjoyed being staving off responsibility as much as I could. And then when when you have it, when you have a taste, and you see that the choices matter, that that I say yes, there's consequences. I say no, there's consequences. But something changes in you. So for me, that was another point. So to me, those are the two points in, in, in my own personal sense. And of course, my, my meeting my wife and my children in an emotional sense teaches me, taught me another lesson of my life about the maturity of, of my emotions, you know, and the heartbreaks I had. So I can keep going on and on and on. But Basically, it's, 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 if I sum it all up, it's basically the moments where I become aware of the strength of my own self and become aware of who I am that become, make them the big moments of my life that shape me. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. And I, you know, I think one of the things that I seem to be seeing quite a bit lately is this idea that mortality really does help us in some ways to to understand maybe not what we're here to do per se, but mm -hmm. how important it is for us to really get in tune with that idea that, you know, what you talked about, we're not our body, we're not our mind and that there, there's, mm -hmm. there's something else. There's something so much deeper there. Yeah. And, and, and the thing that made, I guess the big difference in me that I've noticed is that, you know, that moment is coming. And if I spend my whole life worrying about that moment, then I'm going to waste my life might as well enjoy this moment. I've got this much time in life, I, whether it's a year or 75 years left of life in me, because my, my great grandpa, Don Ezekiel, lived to be 116 years of age, and his son, 98, and his daughter, and his daughter, 98, there's longevity in my life. 
if I spend all that time worrying about the unknown, which is that step going into the uh, the next the next phase, then I'm wasting my life. I'm alive, and while I'm alive, everything is possible. I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah, it was. It's interesting. Last night we had an event, and uh, one of the one of the speakers that came out is 44, but mm-hmm. looks like he's in his late 20s. And I was uh-huh. I was half joking around with him, and I said, you know, what's your what's your secret to longevity? What's your secret to to looking so young at, at you know when you're in your mid 40s? And he said, I just don't carry regrets in my mind. And mm-hmm. I thought, huh, that's in, that's really interesting. And he said, yeah, I, I've gotten rid of all of the I've tried to like I've spent my life trying to get rid of all the emotional and and mental baggage that's there and clear my mind of of those pieces. And do you feel like that's something that's true for you as well? Has that had an impact having a family that you know is living into longevity and and living these really long lives? How, how important do you feel that is? Oh, it's true. You know, if if we hold on like, like the image my father has taught me about that is like you're carrying the corpse of your own corpse over several years, every experience, you know, you carry this weight and it's stinky and it's infecting every relationship you're in. That's how regrets are. You're just carrying your own corpse from all those past mistakes, all those past moments. You know, it's like you carry the corpse of the, of the guy who dated your ex-girlfriend, my, my, my ex-girlfriend, meaning like I can carry the version of me at 18 or 21 or 24 or 27 each year representing, uh, uh, the end of, a of a big relationship in my life. And if I, I still carry those that weight, it's going to affect me. It's going to affect my relationship with myself. It's going to re- begin to affect the relationship with my wife or my relationships with the people in my life. So to let go of that is to learn from that and let go. You know, there's a difference between not letting go and holding on to it because it's part of who we are and we feel like we haven't, you know, Learn, learn from it, or more, more, or more importantly, we haven't forgiven ourselves from it, and that unforg- that lack of forgiveness really carries an enormous kind of weight because it affects us emotionally, and it makes it affects us physically. But when we let go of it, we're we're able to learn from those those moments, but we're free to live life. You know, it's one of the things that I, you know, someone, some I consider myself still feel young. I'm 40 years old myself, and I still feel like I'm in my early 30s or late 20s, I feel young. And the only time I feel old is when, you know, when I wake up in the morning, my lower back hurts. That's the only time I really feel my age. But other than that, the reason why I feel young is that I'm still in awe of the world. You know, to be, uh, to be childlike is to still be in awe of everything. You know, the, to be amazed of the things that I perceive. Because as we get adult, as we grow up and become adults, something that happens is that we stop being in awe of the world and we hold on to the things we know because the, that things we know shape who we are or makes us feel special or, or makes us feel safe. And when that happens, we narrow our perception. And when we narrow our perception, we're unwilling to see life from someone else's point of view. You can say that compassion goes out the window when that happens. So to to see the the, the world through the child the eyes the eyes of a child, is not to see it through naivety, or naive. Uh, it's to see it through awe, to be amazed, to to be willing to see life from someone else's point of view. To say to someone, what does that mean to you? You know, like for example, you hear someone say something, and it doesn't really match up to what you're thinking. 
so you have the willingness to say, what does that mean to you? And then you hear it from their point of view. Mm-hmm. We're one of 7 billion human beings living life at this very moment, which means there are 7 billion ways to see life from their point of view. So to be in awe of the world is just simply to let the world still give you the information and the willingness to receive it. Mm. So, so what was it like growing up and seeing the world through the eyes of, of your father? And, and I'm sure most of our guests know uh, who your father is, Don Miguel Ruiz, Don Miguel Ruiz the, yes. the author of, of The Four Agreements and, and many, many other books, very, very prolific uh, author and, and, and philosopher. You know, what was it like growing mm-hmm. up uh, you know, with him as a father? Well, it was interesting. I'm, I am the eldest of, of his sons, and because I'm the eldest, I got to experience different stages that my brothers didn't. You know, I remember Dr. Miguel Ruiz. I remember apprentice Don Miguel Ruiz. I teacher Miguel Ruiz and Don Miguel Ruiz. And just to narrow it and simplify it that way, I saw the four stages. You know, I saw the ma- Dr. Don Miguel Ruiz, the surgeon, neurosurgeon, and the way he raised us, you know, and, and the, the, the world of doctor and respectability and that comes with that and the rigidity that came with that. And then uh, I went, I remember the man who started going to my grandmother's because uh, growing up, the spiritual f- figure was my grandmother. You know, you can say that Don Miguel Ruiz, how everyone knows him, that's the result of all the years of work that he's been giving. But growing up, the spiritual force was my grandmother's, my father's teacher. So growing up with my grandma, you know, you, you had a you learn a lot about faith. You learn about dualities in life. You, you, because my grandmother was a faith dealer. My father was a neurosurgeon. The, uh, East and West and uh, homeopathic and Western medicine and all kind of thing. And education and science and knowledge and spirituality in life. And you have the duality of life. You 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 grow up with juxtapositions. Even I even grew up in the between San Diego and Tijuana. I I, I was product of both cities two different cultures, sister cities that are separated by a little line in the ground. And that shaped, that shaped me more than anything. You know, so growing up with my father, the man, Dr. Don Miguel Ruiz, taught with that rigidity, the student and his own transitions, you know, he, he began to shift. The man, the, the, the teacher, the, the shaman, taught differently. And Don Miguel, the, the final product, taught completely different. You know, you can say that, you know, where rigidity was in his youth, as he grew, he grew older, he let life become the teacher. And he was just there to help me figure it out. But he let us experience our own consequences. He let us experience the the ability for us to look at having confidence in making our own choices and experiencing the consequences of those choices and that was a reflection. So for me, that was the main thing. You know, the, he himself, his evolution and the impact of my life was something that when I was young, all that tradition to me belonged in a, in a history book. And what does that have to do with my life? And then as he figured out his way and found, found a language that it was common sense, then it was easier to see it in my life. And life became my teacher. And all I'm doing is putting words and painting with words what I'm perceiving. 
Mm. So to me, that was that was the difference. That was the evolution. That's wonderful, and you know, I think it's it's interesting and and beautiful to hear you speak about your father and that dynamic between the two of you because I think for a lot of of young men who grow up in an environment where they're living with somebody who is is so highly regarded by the outside world it can often be challenging and um you know some of my friends have you know fathers who run exceptional businesses and even myself my my father is an incredible man and and you know I always met people who held him in such high regard that, you know, sometimes I would find myself being like, well, how am I supposed to fill those shoes? And how <laughs> am I enough. supposed to be, you know, how am I like, when am I going to grow into this man that is going to, you know, be equivalent to him or surpass him? And mm-hmm. so I'm just curious, you know, did you ever feel that from your father or did he ever address it? And, and, or is that something that you've ever, ever dealt with? Because I think that resonates with a lot of men out there where we're like, Maybe not competition, but how can we fill the shoes of our fathers? Well, I definitely experienced it. You know, I remember when my father released the four agreements uh, 19 years ago that as soon as I, you know, the book came out and people reading it, people would come to me, ask me, when is your book coming out? The fanaticism that was around the family was, it's interesting, you know, and, and you can say to a certain degree, I kind of rebelled against it. But in regards to living under the legacy of it, I, I, at first I witnessed my father live under the legacy of my grandmother. Like I said before, she was in our family the, the most influential individual. She she is the one that had the community that grew. You know, when my father started teaching, uh, he was under the shadow of my grandma, and little by little he came out of it. For me, it's been uh, in my young in my youth I rebelled against it. It's almost natural to rebel against it. I'm going to forge my own life. I'm going to forge my own destiny and all that kind of thing and then you graduate from college and the bubble burst and you're not really working for grades you're working for life and you you live off of your consequences you know and the consequences could be positive and negative or you pay the bill you get light you don't pay the bill you don't have light that's those those are consequences so from that point of view life began to teach me and Things began to affect me. And then, you know, when I read The Four Agreements for the very first time, I picked up the book, read the first three chapters, put it down. It's my dad telling me what to do all over again. And that's how I saw it. Then when I was 27, I picked it up because life had happened to me. I've had some experiences. I've had some moments in life that I needed some healing from. And I picked it up and I related to it. Then at that point, at that point, I wasn't teaching. I, I didn't care for teaching. I wanted. I was working in the film industry in Los Angeles. I worked as a production assistant, editor, camera loader. I was I was going up the the ladder in the in the filming world, and I was having fun and I enjoyed it. And then I asked myself, what do I want my thirties to look like? You know, as part of that consequence of reading that book, I've read that book. I reflected on my life. And I answered, well, what do I want my 30s to look like? Well, I want to be a father. I want to be a husband. Well, what kind of father do I want to be? What kind of husband do I want to be? And I want to be the one that is around. Realize, well, you know what? The film industry, I love it. But I don't want to serve two masters because in the, in the film industry, you work as uh, the to do the best work. You treat your, <clears throat> your current job as your last. Because it's true because you never know. When you finish production, you never know if you're going to work again. So you do your very best. You you hustle. You work, 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 work. And 
I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that life. For me, that was so much fun. You know, you work. You didn't work for a resume. You work, you work on the reputation, and I had a very good reputation. So, when I began to understand my father's teachings and my grandmother's teachings, and I began to put it in my own words, I be, I began to understand it. I began to see it, and I realized that once I start teaching, I'm definitely going into his realm. I'm definitely going into that path. I'm definitely will be under that shadow. But then I understood the teachings enough to know that, you know what, that doesn't really matter, does it? So, you know what, I'm I'm going to do it my way, and it's going to come out my way because it's my life experience. I'm going to be teaching from my life experience, and that in itself is different. That in itself is, it's it's a totally different thing. So at that point, my it's just a name, a shell. My, you know, I'm, the image of Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. doesn't exist. I just... It's a name that my father gave me because he loved me so much, and my mom loved him so much, she let him do it. So I have a name because of love. And But who I am, what I am, you know, I'm the, I, it's basically how I live my life, how I engage it. So I went into teaching and let go of the film industry because I've had two motivators. I wanted to be that kind of a father and husband, but I also wanted to, I, I began to understand the teachings that my father and my grandmother have been teaching me all throughout my life up to that point, and this is, I'm talking here in, in my early 30s here, I just started teaching. And when I started teaching, you know, people, the people who would come to my classes would be one people or five people. You know, I'd be happy if I had 10. So I started, you know, paying my dues, like people say. I started from the very, very bottom, and I stayed there for a long, long time until I develop my chops, I develop my own stories, I develop my own experiences, and here I am. And little by little, you know, it's, yes, I have the name Domingo Ruiz Jr. It, it opens the doors, but it's up to me whether those doors stay, stay open. And that's the quality I bring. That's the work I bring. It's it, I have the opportunity, the second opportunity, the third opportunity, not because of my name, but because I, I guess I still haven't let go of that mentality that drove me as a production assistant in the film industry. I do the best with what I've got at this very moment. I, and I enjoy it. I love it. You've taken the best of what you got and you've put it into, you know, some, some amazing books yourself. Um, and we'd love to dig into the latest one, uh, which we're so excited about. And, and um, it, it is absolutely incredible. And we definitely recommend that all of our community go out and get it. it freedom. And I'm wondering if you can give, an overview of, of the book and, and, and maybe talk about who the book is for and why somebody should go out and get it. Sure. Well, for me, the mastery itself is, in, in a nutshell, is the moment where I stop pretending to be something I am not and I accept myself for who I am at this very moment. That's, that's how I see it. Um, where I begin to master loving myself unconditionally. So the book, in the way I wrote it, is, you know, people do a personal journey, like self-help, spiritual, uh, spiritual journey is always uh, an individual journey. It's by ourselves. It's that, that healing of that relationship within myself. Like, for example, if I'm the one who's talking inside my own mind, who's listening? Well, I am. If I'm the one who's listening, who's talking? Well, I am. The relationship between my mind and my heart. If there's just harmony in that relationship, then there's nothing but this harmony throughout my life. So the goal is to bring harmony into that relationship. So a lot of the 
self-help people do, the work people do, with whether we're going with a therapist or psychologist or AA or or talking with a mentor or a coach or a psych or a spiritual leader in their own uh, religious tradition or spiritual tradition, it begins with a personal journey where they heal. And when you have when you reach an apex of that journey where you also you begin to heal, now what? Well, we don't live isolated in an ashram. We don't live isolated in a monastery. We don't live isolated in a hill. We live in our everyday life. We live in our community where we engage our family. We engage the people in our life, we, the people, our friends. We engage with the people who know us from that previous disharmony, that, that disharmony that I lived. Some people are active influencers. Some people are not. Some people are excited to see your transformation. Some people don't care about your transformation. And some people want to continue having you in their own uh, power or are subjugated by your power. So how do we stay in our discipline as we engage the people in our life? So to me, that's what this work, uh, this book's about in a sense is that imagine you're the only sober person in a party where everyone else drunk. And, you know, you're talking to someone who has been nursing a glass of wine for the last five hours and they're barely tipsy they just take a sip here and there and that person's standing next to the person who's about to open a third bottle of wine and they're blacked out but they're still functional and everyone in the party is somewhere in between the two in colorful ways and such some people are happy and they go from happy to mad then they get happy again to people fight and they make up again and they fight again and they come back again. And everyone's in different stages. Even the people you're talking to the with, with every new glass of drink they have in their hand, they, their personality changes right in front of you. So how do we stay in our, in our discipline as we engage that in, and the reason why we're in the party is because our family is there. Our friends are there. Everyone we know is there. So to me, this is what this book is about. How do we stay in that discipline? You know, I had a teaching, a teacher once uh, shared this with me. It's like the key to enlightenment is effort. You know, that effort that we use to move our legs, to move our arms, to create a thought. Discipline is remembering to apply that effort every day. So it's about that. It's about remembering who we are and how we begin to engage the people in our life because I can't give what I do not have. If I want to bring harmony within relationship with other people, I begin with myself, which means I'm the constant. I'm the constant in every relationship that I am in. And if I have harmony within myself, then I can give that harmony. I can share that harmony. But if there isn't, then then all of my relationships will have that this harmony because I'm the constant. So that's where the discipline comes in. How do I stay in that in that awareness? So it's easy to start at the outer edges of all the people I know and slowly work my my way to the center. Basically, the people who who whom I love the most tend to tend to be the people whose you know emotional upswings tend to affect me the most. So with that, this book, The Master Yourself, is just simply this instrument that allows me, like you could say that that's as a writer of it. It was my journey to how to become aware of who I am as I continue to engage the people in my life. Very cool. And this whole idea of mastery is, is a conversation that seems to be happening more and more these days. And do, do some people see mastery as this sort of 
end goal that you're going to someday reach and then that's it you're there you're you're a master of yourself or is it is it a constant uh constant evolution and are you constantly in this state of mastery or are you constantly trying to strive for mastery you know that's a wonderful question and you can see that you know that we can see it in different ways you know one one of the things we I talk about in the books and all of the books is about domestication, which is a system of reward and punishment by, by which we model the behavior of an individual. If we live up to the expectation, we're worthy of love. And if we don't live up to the expectation, then we're worthy of our own punishment, our own rejection. And since we are emotional beings, that reward feels like love. And the punishment feels like rejection and the lack thereof of love. It's the way we've learned conditional love. So sometimes we can already see that mastery. Mastery to me is the practicing our, of our craft. You know, it, every day we put it in practice to evolving our skills, our craft. And that was, that's what makes us the master. Practice makes the master. And practice simply is using the effort in our life to become better at what we do. You know, someone who practices music every day becomes a master of that musical instrument. Someone who practices giving lectures becomes a master of lecturing simply because they get not only the confidence, but the, the confidence to use the skills that they're developing. So to me, that's the developing of that master. Someone who practices martial arts, someone who practices painting a wall uh, or singing a song or writing a book, practice allows us that confidence. So what motivates us to create? So domestication, the motivator is conditional love. If we live up to expectation, we're worthy of love. And that's not passion. It's an obsession, an obsession to live up to an image. So if the goal is to become a master, then you're not doing it because it's a passion or you love it. You're doing it because you have to. And when you do something because you have to, then you've become a master of conditional love or master of domestication or conditioning or programming, whatever term you want to use. So we become masters of something we don't want to become a master of. Passion, on the other hand, doing something we love to do. Well, the natural consequence is becoming a master because we love doing it. You know, we become a master of the game we love to play. We love become a master of the music we like to play. We, we even become masters of having a radio show. You know, we, we practice every every new radio show you guys do. You become better and better and better at it because you love doing it. And there's a natural evolution to that. So to me, that's that's a master that is a, a master of their own heart. You, you can say of their own passion, of their own desire to use the effort that animates this body, that animates this mind to manifest something they want to manifest. So it, it is about an evolution. The question is, are we going to evolve with an obsession to live up to an image that doesn't exist or live life from the point of view of awareness that this is who I am and this is what I'm able to do because I'm alive to do it. Yeah. I mean, that's a really great way of putting it. And you know, when I think when you're talking about self mastery, what, what comes up for me and what I think a lot of people really hear is future potentiality, right? It's like this Uh idea of a potential within ourselves that we can live into. And you know, from, from what I've seen in the in the in the business world, whether it's whether it's people who are running their own companies or people who are working for other companies um, or in relationships or in the artistic realm, I think one of the biggest one of the biggest blocks that I've seen is is when people hear the words "you have so much potential," 
right? Because mm-hmm. then they feel like they need to live into this space of of what they should be doing or what they should be creating. So this brings me to the question of what do you think is the biggest block that really that is, you know, blocking people from having that sense of self-mastery or living into their highest potential? Oh yeah. Um in my point of view, it's, uh, it's the biggest block is trying to be pretend to be something I'm not in, for the sake of someone else's point of view. We, we, when we live to live, li- we begin to live life from someone else's point of view, because that's when we stop living our own life. We live, we're living someone else's perception of us. To me, that's the biggest block because there's a difference between I have to and I want to. This is what I want to do versus this is what I have to do. There's a difference, you know. I have to. You can already hear domestication all over it. I want to. You know, for example, let's let's say uh, we have a parent who suffers a stroke and the, the, the parent is in a position that it's hard for them to live uh, self-sufficiently. Some, if we see it from I have to, then we see ourselves sacrificing ourselves for someone else. And, and in, however noble that sounds, we're doing it because we're, we don't want to do it and we're forcing ourselves to live up to the image of the good son or the good daughter. Compare that to the difference of seeing love the parents. I love my father. I love my mother. And I don't want them to suffer. I don't want them to struggle. I want to take care of them. So from that point of view, it's not a sacrifice at all. This is what I want to do. I want to help my parents because if I don't, then I don't like, I don't want the consequences that would happen if I don't. So there's a difference between I want to and I have to. So to me, if we compare that to our business world or our profession, the question is, are we doing something we want to do? Is this our passion? Is this something that makes it, makes it feel like a job or simply look at me, look, I got the opportunity to do this. You know, one of my heroes, Tony Gwynn, he's a baseball player. He was a baseball player. May he rest in peace. One of the greatest um, heroes of all time. Yep, Tony Wynn. Yep, he's one of the greatest. I, I I grew up in San Diego, so I grew up I, I, in 1984 when his rookie season. I was nine years old, so you can say that I grew up through my teens and my twenties with the man. And and you you got to see a guy who smiles, not only at the plate but at practice. Right. You know, he he says most of the work I do is in it's in the batting cage and 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 doing my things because I'm practicing my my skills. I'm perfecting my my craft and i'm evolving my craft and i enjoy it so when a game comes that's the time where i let it all out you know it's like that you practice something so you can develop a craft that you can let it all out at the moment where it's time to let it out you know a musician does the same thing a musician practices practices the scales practices the chords practices the technique practices tempo and little by little they develop the craft only that when the time comes to to perform live, you let all that energy out. You know, for example, I run half marathons and marathons, so I train and train to run a marathon. You don't run it just on that that Sunday for twenty six point two miles. You run it for six months or three years as you develop 
the skills and the craft and the muscle memory and the and the mental fortitude and the 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 strategies and everything that on, that way on the, on on race day you let it all out you're like all right this is it i may not train ever again after this day but at this moment i'm letting it all out so from there the evolution of the craft the evolution of what blocks us dissipates you know what that thing that this that blocks us you know we we have moments in our life of things not flowing the way we want to and if we're stuck trying to do what we the same mistake over and over that you know that's that's the definition of insanity the willingness to see it and evolve it you know like all right this isn't working for me anymore let me try this way like well like imagine 20 win again all right the pitchers has figured out how i take a stand how i swing okay let me evolve my craft let me develop this thing let me get better that way the 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 pitcher that throws that ball at me may think that i do it but i'm going to surprise him with a new skill and all of a sudden you can say that that's the evolution like it's a game of chess you get to evolve it you 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 see your competitor not as your enemy but someone who's also evolving their craft and you get to appreciate it you know the tony win has a, had a huge appreciation for pitchers to develop their craft because not only can he use that information to better his game but as a fan, he loved watching how the other players around him evolved as well because that way he learned. He was always learning. He was always in, in awe of it. I remember that in the World Series when the Padres went to the New York Yankees, uh, the, played the New York Yankees and went to Yankee Stadium, Tony Wynn was like in awe. He's like, I'm going to get a home run in, in Yankee Stadium in the World Series. And he did. And he's like, can you imagine that? I got a home run in the World Series in Yankee Stadium against the Yankees. And he, and he was excited about it. He's like, wow, this whole, this whole practice, this whole evolution allowed me to reach that point to create, to have one of my dreams come true. And there it is. That's why we do it. And, and we I create think, a craft to create, make a dream come true. And when, when I think of Tony Gwynn and, and his style and, and his work ethic, I think of discipline. And, and you mentioned it earlier. And I can't help but think that you know, if you're running marathons, you have to have incredible discipline. And in doing some research on, on yourself, I came across this quote that, that you had said. And that was your no is just as powerful as your yes. Yep. And I, I love that quote. And, and I, when I think of self-mastery, I think of discipline. And I'm wondering if you can kind of expand on that a little bit. Oh, sure. Well, like I said before, discipline is applying that effort every day. You know, like remember that, like that saying that the, the key to enlightenment is effort. Well, discipline is just remembering to do what I love to do. You know, sometimes, sometimes as I, for example, right now I'm in the middle of it. I just ran. I ran 14.14 miles last night, you know, I'd, and the way I do it is that I don't force myself to do it. I, I wait for a wave, you know, like I, I, I'm, I'm from San Diego and I learned to surf. So sometimes this image works for me. When you, you, you can't surf a wave that's not there. You, there's a certain amount of patience that comes along with it. You, so you, you prepare yourself, you, you, you get mentally, you, you, you're in the, you, you're, you're engaging your environment. You're engaging the water. You're engaging that board. You're engaging yourself, and you and you have this incredible amount of patience. But you're enjoying it. You're, you're there, and then when you see all those potentials, going back to what you were saying at the beginning, you see all these potential waves coming down off the horizon, 
and you're patient. Some some of those waves will manifest and be a great wave to ride. Some of them won't, and some of them you won't be able to catch it. And sometimes there's another surfer in front of you that's about to take it, and you you wait because you know you, there's a certain amount of eth- ethics that comes within surfing. But when a time comes to ride that wave, you ride it. So if you look at it, there's always these waves coming, and and how I see for, how I see, train for my marathons. I listen for. I wake up and I listen to my body. I listen to my body. For example, uh, on I was supposed to run 14 miles on Sunday. And that was that was my schedule. But the day before, I put some shoes on that, you know, new shoes can really wreck a a leg, a foot if if you let it. And this particular pair of shoes kind of wrecked a little bit of my shin and my and my if my sanglass and anyone who's ever run that might know what i'm talking about you all of a sudden you, you feel like holy smoke where, where, did, the, where did that pain come from and you realize it's the, it's the shoe because it's the, the the leg is not used to it and it's, not, it's trying to adapt to it so at that moment i realized well if i run right now i i run the risk of hurting myself so the wave is not there if i go for a run i may hurt myself and i'm not gonna i, I look at the bigger picture so I continue to carb load. And then the next morning I wake up and I'm, there's things, you know, I'm a father and I'm a husband. So there's things that happen. So I wait and wait and around three o'clock, an hour after I, I finish eating, I'm like, I feel it. Okay. All right. I'm going to dress up, get everything up. And I start running. I run 14, four miles. Like when I get up and I start running, it's bright light. When I finish running, it's dark. It's pitch dark. I, I, I can't see that. I live outside Reno. So there's, there's no real street lights around me. It's it's dark, but I enjoyed it, and that's the thing. It's like discipline is using the effort to do something I want to do, and the best effort comes when I'm ready for it. For example, right now I'm I'm talking to you, and it's it's like diving into a pool. Like if I stay on the edge of the pool, then I'm not gonna do anything. The best way to do is to jump. Because it's 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 live. I'm talking to you, and this is the window. And when the window comes, I, I you take it. It's like a wave. Right now, I have I'm motivated, I'm engaged, and I'm doing it. That's it. That's really it. That's to me what discipline is: the combination of listening to the body and waiting for that wave to allow my emotions, my energy to follow through. Because if I force it, then I can hurt myself. Or I will, I, it's, 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 uh, the body's not ready and I can hurt. So I prepare myself and I'm constantly ready for that. And when the time comes, I take it. So luckily for me, you know, some runs are easy to do where I don't have to really wait for that wave because I'm already there. I'm already, I woke, I woke up with that sensation. Let's go for that three mile or, or four miler. It's the, the longer runs that, you wait for the wave to run because there's a, it's it's easy to conquer that distance when you're inspired to do so, and cool. that's I guess that's really it. It's inspiration. The wow. best thing that feels discipline is the inspiration to do it. I love that, and and what you, what you're saying is so inspiring, and and we truly truly appreciate it. Um, you know, you were just talking about being ready. Uh, my question to you is, are you ready for a little bit of a lightning round? Some, some, some rapid fired questions we'd like to throw your way. 
Sure, I'll do my best. <laughs> awesome. I'll follow your lead. <laughs> Perfect. The first question I like to ask you is, who is the most influential person of all time? Personally or historically? Uh, it could be both. Napoleon. That's a good one. Um, in your opinion, who is the bravest person of all time, the, the most courageous? My grandmother. Mm, nice. What is the most underrated trait for modern-day success? Oh, that's that's easy. That's uh, uh, keeping your education. Keep keep studying. You know, your education doesn't stop at graduation. You continue your you you continue to hone in your craft. And sometimes we undervalue it because we think we should know everything, and that's the biggest trap we, there is. You continue to perfect your home. You continue to educate. Nice education and learning. I like it. What's something that everyone should experience? You know, I think we talk a lot about. Uh, learning and ideas, but what's something that everybody should experience in their lifetime? Failure. If you were to take one book on a desert island, what would that book be? And it can't be any written by your father or yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Love in the time of cholera by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. It's mm, a good one. Uh, and what's one movie that you would bring with you on a desert island? High and Low by Akira Kurosawa. Very cool. What would you like your lasting legacy to be? friendship love that and finally uh miguel what's the best way people can get a hold of you what's the best way they can learn more about you well the best way to find uh, find me is my little website miguelruizjr.com that's miguelruizjr.com and uh, you can find me on you know social sites facebook instagram twitter those those i'm always there but those are my home that my website's my home base Love it. Um, guys, you got to go out there and pick up uh, Don Miguel Ruiz Jr.'s new book. It's called The Mastery of Self. It is available wherever books are sold. Um, thank you, Miguel, so much for coming on the Man Talks podcast. And for our community out there, if you want to learn more about Man Talks, you can go to mantalks.com for more blog, blog posts, podcasts, lots of amazing new articles up there on our, on our site and information on all of our events, which are coming soon. Uh, please subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. And of course, please leave us a rating and a review. It goes a long way to help get the podcast into as many ears as possible. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the Man Talks podcast. Catch us next week for another inspiring conversation. And thank you to Mr. Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. Thank you, guys. Have a fun time. Enjoy. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. We really appreciate that. 